The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 4. We'll continue to walk through this summer series, The Fruit of the Spirit, and this morning we will talk about joy. And uh, since we are talking about joy, and since it is Father's Day, I thought it might be appropriate to start off this morning with a few dad jokes. Now, dad jokes, I don't know why these are called dad jokes. One is probably because they are jokes that maybe a dad might tell their kids, but they're corny as all get out. And so, you know, I don't, I don't like the fact that these are associated with dads, you know, I'm, but I'm going to perpetuate the stereotype this morning. So here's a few dad jokes. Why did the Clydesdale give the pony a glass of water? Because he was a little horse. See, I told you, they're going to warm you up here in a minute. How many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? Tentacles. Ten tickles. You get it? See, that one just right over your head. Maybe these will get better. Why couldn't the bike stand up by itself? Because it was too tired. I know, these are pitiful. I'm rethinking my choice to start this way. What type of cheese is lonely? Provolone. I thought that was pretty good. And what does an angry pepper do? It gets jalapeno face. Right? All right. So these are really bad. Okay? And I didn't write these. These were on the internet. Okay? So I blame whoever's out there. Al Gore. You're the the fault of this. But obviously... Dads bring a lot of happiness and humor and entertainment to our lives. You've seen these videos where dads are awesome and they're doing all these things. But when we're talking about dads bringing happiness to our lives, it is not the same thing as joy. Joy is a different story. And maybe you look at your father and and your dad has at times brought much joy into your life. But perhaps you're in that category that Matt addressed this morning where you're your dad, you didn't have a good relationship with him. It was not a good model for you. And maybe there's not a whole lot of joy associated there. And so to associate our earthly fathers with joy maybe is just not true for you. And that's why we need something better to hang our joy on. And that's why we come to the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today we come to joy. And I've said to you every week that we're not coming to these as fruits of the Spirit, but they are fruit. My staff gave me a hard time about that this week, and had, they had to be real specific and say fruit, not fruits, right? And, uh, and so, you know, ribbing one another. But we come to the fruit of the Spirit, and it's almost as if we are just sort of rotating the fruit of the Spirit, the same fruit. And every time we give it just a little turn, we see another facet of what it is in the fruit of the Spirit. And today we turn and we see joy. And I think naturally joy follows on the hills of love because once we know we are loved by God, joy is a natural response to that. And so let me read our passage this morning, one verse out of Philippians 4. And then this whole sermon, I'll just give you a little bit of a a heads up, this whole sermon is filled with Scripture passages. Okay, so we won't just be here. We're going to jump all over the place as we look at this issue of joy. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Would you pray with me as we start this, this topic of joy?
Lord, we love you. And God, I, I know your word is truth. And God, I pray today that you would bring your truth to bear on our lives. Lord, that you would bring out joy from our gospel relationship in you, that we would see in you so many things that we have to be joyful about. Lord, teach us to rejoice always. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points I want to give you this morning. The first is this. Joy is found in God alone. And this is probably the main point of the whole sermon. If you don't hear the rest, you need this. Joy is found in God alone. Now, there are a couple of things I want to show you under this, that there is false joy and there is true joy. And our world is filled with a whole lot of false joy. I've heard more and more this week as I listened to sermons and studied and prepared for this. And even this morning coming in, I've heard just a rise in suicide and how our world is, is looking for joy in so many things, but joy can only be found in God. See, the reason that, that, that this is false joy is because the world wants to confuse happiness with joy. They want to substitute happiness for joy. And so God, joy can only be found in God. Happiness is not the same thing as joy. Job chapter 20 verse 5 says, The exulting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment. And the point there that is being made is that the one who is without God has no relationship with God. His, what he thinks is joy, what she thinks is joy, is short-lived. Because it's not the joy of the Lord, but it is a, a, a wicked, godless joy that is happiness rather than joy itself. You see, the, the joy of the godless lasts but a moment because it's not joy at all. It's happiness. It is, it is temporary pleasure that is being sought. It is fleeting euphoria because it is trying to substitute happiness for joy. Someone might say, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? And I would say to you, happiness is way too shallow. God wants more than that for you. God has so much more. He has joy in store for you. And happiness is much too small of a goal for you to look at. So happiness is not the same as joy. True joy can't be found in good food or in a bottle or any other substance or material or created thing. You think about how many people turn to all sorts of things looking for joy when what they're chasing is happiness in some created thing. They chase it in food. Uh, I'll go to the beach this, this, this summer and, and, uh, and I'll eat lots of shrimp and I'll eat lots of ice cream and all those things and I will chase it and it will, it will be fun for a season. But guess what? I'll come back from the beach and I'll go to get dressed and that's not joy. That was happiness for a moment, right? Uh, Y'all are quiet this morning, but I'm hoping I'm going to, you know, the dad jokes just put you to sleep, I guess. Uh, but to people turn to food. They turn to alcohol. Uh, you see people all the time uh, living their lives around the bar or living their lives around uh, cases and, and, and drink and all these things, and it will bring happiness for a season, the Bible speaks of this, that while it's in the cup, it sparkles. Look at, look at how beautiful it is, and it lures and entices you in, but it cannot bring joy. It may bring happiness for a moment, but it is a fleeting moment. People turn to material things like houses and cars, and clothing, and toys of all sorts. You know, the older we get, we, we still have toys. They're just different toys. Usually they cost more. 
But we turn to these things thinking that these things will, will somehow bring joy to our lives. And guess what? Sooner or later, they will disappoint. People turn to experiences like vacations and concerts and sporting events to bring joy to their lives, and they can't deliver. People turn to people. They turn to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they think, if I could just find that person, that somehow joy would flood into my life. And the reality is that person can't deliver that. A spouse cannot deliver joy. You know, your children can't deliver joy. Your friends can't deliver joy. They may bring happiness to your life for a season, for a moment, but they can't bring joy. Joy can only be found in God. And this is the main point of what I want to get across to you today. There is nothing wrong with seeking after happiness in some of these things, as long as these things don't become our pursuit of joy or where we pursue joy. God has given us these things, many of these things, not all of what I just talked about, but He's given many of these things so that we might enjoy what He's given us and have happiness for a season. There's nothing wrong with sitting down with a good meal with friends and family. There's nothing wrong with going on vacation. Those are great things, but they cannot bring joy. Psalm chapter 4, verse 7 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. In other words, the psalmist is saying, when they're sitting down at the best meal they could possibly fix. I mean, they have, they have butchered the cow, and they've got filet mignon off the grill on that plate. I mean, they've got, you know, baked potato, nice roll, butter coming off that thing. Am I making you hungry yet? He says, you put more joy in my heart than when they're sitting at the best meal they've ever had. When, when their wine abounds, God, you give me joy that makes that pale in comparison. Joy can only be found in God. And here's a, a, a point that I just want to, under this issue of false joy, I want to bring to your attention, so hear me. The Bible never tells us that happiness is the ultimate pursuit anyway. We live in a culture where this really is what seems to be the thing that everyone is chasing. Everyone wants happiness. They, they want to, be, to live a life free of conflict and, and where they smile and laugh all the time, where there is no pain ever in anything. They want to be happy, and this seems to be what everyone is chasing, but they are confusing happiness with joy. Isaiah chapter 22, verses 12 through 13 in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth. In other words, this, this, when, when Isaiah was speaking, this was a day when God had called to, for them to repent, to turn back from their idolatry, to turn back to Him, to, to mourn over their, their evil, wicked ways. But instead, Isaiah said, even though God has called for these things, weeping, mourning, baldness, wearing sackcloth, behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, was the response of Israel. See, even there, Isaiah says, behold, joy and gladness. But the word there that he's using for joy is not true joy. He's saying, God calls you to repent, to turn from your sin, to be serious about your sinfulness and your holiness before him. And instead, you've ignored his warning and you just say, let's party. Let's seek after happiness because this life is all there is. And this mindset, I believe, is what is leading to so much 
emptiness and brokenness and sadness and depression all around us is because we have misplaced the place where joy can be found. Instead, the Bible talks about in Matthew 13, that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Because finding the joy of the Lord is worth more than anything you could possibly get in this life. He's willing to part ways with all that he has for the joy of the Lord. Because in God alone is where true joy is found. So then, what is true joy? If false joy is all of what I have just described, what is true joy? Where can it be found? Well, let me give you some, some places. His rescue. In, in God's rescue, Psalm 20 verse 5 says, May we shout for joy over your salvation. You know, one of the reasons we come together in this place is not simply to go through the motions, but we come together in this place to shout for joy because we've been saved. Amen? God has rescued us, and we have reason to be filled with joy. Another place we find joy is in His refuge. Not just His rescue, but His refuge. Psalm 511 says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. My dad was, was uh, this is Father's Day, my dad was, uh, was a large man, a uh, kid growing up. My dad was 6'3 or so, and he just had these humongous hands, and, and he was just this towering figure of a man. And I can remember as a boy being at times scared over different things, thunderstorms or, or, or the dark or all these things when I was little. Thankfully, I've grown out of those things. But I can remember the assuring presence that I knew in the refuge that was my father. My wife has a story from her childhood where her dad was a cattle farmer and he had he'd gone to the stockyards and, and uh, he had left her in the truck and he was just running back in and going to come right back out. And he had, he had bought her, I think it was a knee-high orange drink and some kind of food, Cracker Jacks. And she's in the cab of this truck. Well, while he's inside, all of a sudden, one of these thunderstorms comes out of nowhere, and it just, the bottom falls out. And it's just pounding on this truck, and lightning's flashing, and thunder is, is rolling, and she's in this truck all by herself. And the story goes that when her dad finally got to where he could get back to the truck, when the rain let up enough, that he opened the door, and there was knee-high orange and Cracker Jacks all over the cab of that truck. And she was glad to see her dad in that moment. And that's how it is for us in the Lord. Joy can be found as we take refuge in Him. We talked in our Sunday school class this morning about the storms of life and the shipwrecks of life and how God takes us through those and is with us in them. And we take refuge in Him no matter what comes our way. And there is joy in the most difficult of circumstances. True joy is found in His presence. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think back also, and I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm giving some fatherly examples. I don't want to give the impression that I had true, lasting joy in these earthly fathers. They pointed me, though, to my heavenly father. But I can think back, I wish my grandfather was still here. Um, my grandfather was the most godly man I will ever know. Uh, he walked with the Lord, um, and there was no question about that. He was just this, this larger-than-life figure, even though he was this small man in stature. 
I used to love to be around him. As a kid growing up, he taught me so many things. He was a, he was a plumber, an electrician, and he taught me little skills here and there. He taught me how to fish. He, he, we, we wrangled some wild peacocks one day. and I mean, just little things, and I was in his presence, and I'm thinking, man, there was joy there, right? There was joy in his presence. And if I can experience that much joy in the earthly presence of my earthly grandfather, how much more joy is there in the presence of our heavenly Father? To be able to come into His presence and say, there, there is everlasting true joy in your presence, God. True joy is found in His joy. Matthew 25 and 21 is telling the story of these, these, um, these servants who have been given a certain amount by the master and asked to, to steward over this. And, and when he comes back and he finds the one who's been faithful, and he says to them there in verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There is a joy of God that we get to enter into knowing that he is fully pleased with us. That it's not based on our striving or on our effort or on our ability. There are times when we felt like, and we know, we have blown it. We come into his presence knowing that he is fully pleased with us in Christ. That there is nothing that we could do to make ourselves more lovable to him. And we enter into the joy of a relationship with a father who's pleased with us in Christ. Joy, true joy is found in his word. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and, and the delight of my heart. This is the, the, the image I always get here when I read this verse is, is the, the, the hot now sign at Krispy Kreme. You know, there's nothing better than getting one off the line, and you don't even have to bite it. You just sort of, just, it just sort of dissolves when it goes in your mouth, you know, and goes down, and it's sweet and it's good. As much happiness as I feel in that moment, if you haven't picked up on this, I have an issue with food. It's a little bit of an idolatry here. I'm trying to slay every day. But if I can get that much happiness from something that tastes so good here, how much sweeter is his word? When's the last time you experienced the sweetness of his word? Where you got alone in his presence, Psalm 1611, and you just picked up his word and you just read and you heard the loving words of a father to a son or to a daughter and you said, this is sweet for me. True joy is found in his word. True joy is found in his promises. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So the reality is you may be going through something in your life where it is hard, it's difficult, and there is weeping in your life, and that's real, and we don't want to minimize that. But in the midst of that, whatever difficult situation or circumstance you are in, you, it's possible to have joy in the middle of that because you cling to the promises of God. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It may not be tomorrow morning. It may not be next week's morning. But you can count it down. If you are His child, joy is coming to you. You can have joy in the middle of whatever you are going through. And true joy can be found in His people. Now, it's important here that we keep this in context. Here's what I mean. True joy is found in His people. Now, a couple of things I'll say here is, number one, you, sitting out there, are my joy. 
I'm like Paul who writes to those churches that he was over, that he had launched and started and pastored. And, and I will say the same thing that he said to them, to you. In 3 John chapter 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, some of you are well my senior, but I still have this responsibility as in this fatherly way over you as the children of God. And there's nothing that brings me joy than when I see you walking with the Lord. When you tell me things of, you know, I was, I was praying the other day and I was reading my Bible and this, and God seemed to speak this, and you know, you tell me about conversations you've had with coworkers or this and that. You tell me things that have happened with your children and how you've steered them to the, to the Lord. These are things that bring joy to my heart. But not only are you my joy, but the Bible teaches that we are one another's joy. And that Philemon chapter 7, uh, Philemon chapter, or verse 7 says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. See, Paul drew joy at this brother in the church who had served and refreshed so many. And the reality is God has placed us into one, another, in one another's lives so that we might bring joy to one another. Now, I say we have to keep that in context, and, and I'll offer this caveat because in all of these, his rescue, his refuge, his presence, his joy, his word, his promises, his people, if you, remain, if you remove his From any of those things, you remove the joy. If you remove God from the equation, you remove the joy. Because if you remove God from the equation, then there is no rescue. There is no refuge. Where are you going to go? There is not His presence. You are not welcome there if God doesn't intervene and and send Jesus on your behalf and call you to Himself. There is no joy that is, that is yours because it is His given to you. There is, you, don't, you don't have the Word unless God gives you the Word. What would you steer your life by? You don't have His promises if He's removed. We don't have one another if God's removed from this equation. If you remove God from this equation, then you remove the joy. But God has given us all these different elements in ways that we find our joy in Him. Joy is found in God alone. Second point. Joy needs pressure relief valves. In other words, joy needs outlets for expression. I want to give you some of these outlets of expression. If if we just came to this issue and we said, man, I've been saved. I have this place in God that I can run to. I have His people. I have His Word. I have His joys pleased in me. If If we really get that and have no place to express that, what happens? We'll blow up. We were made to worship we were made to, to, to give praise, and our, the, we were made to give praise to Him and Him alone. And so let me give you these outlets, these pressure relief valves for the joy that is ours in God. Number one is corporate worship. When we gather in this place and we sing these songs and we read the Word and we pray prayers and we give of what He's given to us and we listen intently to hear from Him. We're not doing so just in a passive way to pass by the time, but instead this is meant to be a pressure relief valve for the joy that is, in, uh, that is ours in God. That we come to this place ready to just explode with joy to Him. Right? 
This is what it is. Corporate worship. Psalm 84, verse 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. We gather in this place as an outlet for worship and for joy. Secondly, upright living is an outlet for joy. We live our lives in response to this joy. and We don't live chasing after happiness and all these other things, but we know nothing will satisfy me like God. He brings joy to my heart. And therefore, I live in response to that with upright living. Psalm 33, verse 1, Shout for joy in the Lord, O, o you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Proverbs 12, verse 20 says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. In other words, those who live in response to the gospel and according to the word of God, that's where joy is found. We live in response to that joy and it shows up in our living. It's an outlet. We, we, uh, we, we are different from maybe what the rest of the world is pursuing because of the joy that's in our hearts. The third outlet is, is mission itself. And two sides of this mission is, one, that we personally want to make much of Jesus with our own lives. And two, the other side of that is for the sake of those out there. Uh, let me show you what I mean. John the Baptist, when he was on the planet, he was pointing to Jesus. And, and when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist's disciples became jealous when Jesus he began to have this early success, they, they began flocking to Jesus, and that meant they were flocking away from John the Baptist. And these disciples of John the Baptist had, had become accustomed to them coming out to him. And they were the biggest show in town. And all of a sudden now people are leaving and going to this Jesus. And they become jealous, and they go to John, and they say, How can this be? Are, are you okay with this? And John's response in John 3.29 the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. This is making much of him with our lives because we know that the this, this show is not about us. The show is about him. He is the one, he is the one who must be made much of, that we must use our lives as a spotlight on him. And then we do this so that others might come to, to receive the joy that we have. When Philip preached in Samaria in, in Acts chapter 8, he preached there and it says that many were coming to faith, that, that, uh, that people were being healed and, and demons were being cast out and all these things. And verse 8 of chapter 8 of Acts says there was much joy in that city. See, we look around and we see all of the heartbreak and all of the depression and all of the, the sadness and the emptiness that comes as a result of chasing after happiness but not finding joy. We, we see this all around us. And you know what God says is? You're the answer. Go and tell them about me. Go and make much of me. You have the, the, the power to bring joy into our surrounding community. Wherever you go, the gospel goes with you. And where the gospel goes, the gospel can bring joy. And so mission becomes this outlet for joy. Uh, fourth is generosity. When, when our hearts are filled with, jo with the joy of God and we really get just overcome by His joy, it causes us to be generous in all that we have. This was the case there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, for the churches in Macedonia. They were themselves in the midst of famine. 
in an extreme test of famine and affliction, and in the midst of their being there without anything, not knowing how they were really going to, to feed themselves and take care of things there, they gave out of what they had and sent an offering for the, for the furtherance of the gospel in other places. Even though they had nothing, they gave it. The joy of the Lord had moved into their lives, and they, they gave. You think about the widow, the, in the story of the widow's might. When all of these would come by who had all this money and they would come by and they would drop their change or their, their coins, their money loudly into the, the coffers so that others would hear and say, oh wow, look at how generous that man is. And Jesus hears this widow and she drops these, the widow's might. It's all she has. And Jesus' point was she's given more than all the rest because she has given all that she has. It was not... It was not religion that produced that in the widow. It was joy. Joy produces generosity. And then another outlet for joy is working for justice. Seeing injustice in the world and saying, that's not right. And as agents of justice, as at this outpost that we call the church, we work for justice, knowing that one day everything will be made right, but in the meantime, it's not. And we become advocates for those who don't have an advocate for those who are abused we defend we protect we help we walk into situations where there is injustice happening we work for justice in those situations that's why proverbs 21 15 says when justice is done it is a joy to the righteous and so joy needs these pressure relief valves or these outlets for expression the third point is this Joy can be found in God alone. Since we have found joy in God alone, we need these expressions and we should take, these, take advantage of these. But here's the reality for us. Joy will always be incomplete until we get to heaven. As much as, as much as we say our joy can never be taken away from us, that is true, but we experience a joy that is somehow not quite what it will be one day. Right now, we look through the glass dimly. One day, we will see face to face and our joy will be complete. Do you know that the entire disposition of heaven is joy? You know, the Bible teaches that in Job 38, verse 7, that when the, before the foundations of the earth were set, that the sons of, of God, the angels themselves, were singing with joy. It was joy in heaven. God needed nothing when he created us. He wasn't looking to fill some void in, in, in the Godhead. He had it all. And there was complete joy in heaven. It's the disposition of heaven. You know, the Bible says that, that when one person comes to repent of their sin and trust Christ as Lord, that, that the angels in heaven rejoice. That there is this singing that erupts in heaven when a sinner repents, when the one of the 99 is found. Joy is the disposition of heaven. And, and there is this future joy that is coming to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This, we know this future joy is coming to us. This disposition of heaven will be ours one day. But the reality for us is, we're not there yet. So in the meantime, 
The incompleteness of our joy shows up when we encounter trials. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He doesn't say if, he says when. Most of us have lived long enough to know that we will come through seasons of trial and we will see God's faithfulness and we will endure these trials. And James here says, in the midst of these trials, when you encounter them, count it all joy. You see, joy is not dependent on the circumstances of our lives. Joy is constant. It's present even in trials. Knowing that that God is preparing us For eternity, we can walk into these trials and be joyful in what he's doing. There are times in our lives between what we will have, this future joy, and where we are now, where we will experience a, a sense of a temporary loss of joy. It doesn't mean our joy has been taken away, but we will experience this sense that our joy has has left us. Some of you may be there right now where you sense. I just don't seem to enjoy the Lord like I once did. You know that David went through this? The the, the great king of Israel. He sinned with Bathsheba. And after he sinned, he he fell under such conviction of his sin. And in Psalm 51, he pours out his heart to God. And he says there in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He used such colorful language that he said he felt like the, the bone, his bones were broken. And the picture there is for us that sometimes our joy seems to go away because we have strayed from God. David had strayed away from God, that he had sinned with Bathsheba, and his joy seemed to be lost in that moment. And perhaps that's the case when we wander from God and we go off into sin. That God loves us enough that he will break the bones of our joy to keep us from wandering. There are other times, though, when you have not strayed, you haven't wandered into sin. You've been walking with the Lord, but nevertheless, there just seems to be this darkness over your life. Some of the old Puritans used to call this a dark night of the soul. You go through this dark time. And I'm reminded of what Charles Spurgeon said, is that when you cannot trace God's hand, trust his heart. There will be times where it will, you will feel like his joy has been removed from you because you are not home yet. And I would just implore you and remind you that it's in those moments, those moments are intentional from God to cause us to long for him to cause us to not seek after our joy in other places, but that we might come back to him and say, God, in you alone is joy. That even in the dark night of the soul, when we have not strayed, when there is nothing really that we need to really turn away from, there's always sin that is there in our lives that we repent from repeatedly. It's the posture. But maybe it's just this dark night of the soul. It causes us to lean into him and say, Oh, Jesus, come quickly. Lord, would you return, restore the joy of my salvation as I wait. The bones that you have broken, Lord, mend them. Our joy will always be incomplete until heaven. But until then, until then, let me give you just some words of application. Same application I've given you the last two weeks. The first is, mortify the flesh. Kill the sinful nature. Long to to put it to death. The Bible tells us that we are to to put this fleshly nature to death. 
That if joy can only be found in God, then there's nothing wrong with enjoying certain things of this world. But when those things become ultimate and we seek our joy in those, we need to ask God, Lord, give me eyes to see when I am replacing, substituting happiness for joy, and God help me to turn from it. The directions on the back of the shampoo bottle are lather, rinse, repeat. Do you know this is the posture of a believer all of your life? Is that all of our lives we will continue to turn away from sin and to place our faith in Christ and to move forward. And we will turn away from sin and we will place our faith and our trust in Christ and we will move forward. This will be the posture all of our lives. We will lather, rinse, repeat all through our lives until one day we are with Him forever and our joy will be made perfect in that moment. We mortify, we kill the, the flesh and we abide in the joy of the Lord. Let me close with a verse of Scripture. I almost chose this as the, the verse to start the sermon or base the sermon around. But it's in John chapter 15. And the context in John 15 is Jesus there saying, if you'll abide in me, I'll abide in you, and you'll produce much fruit. The divine cannot, the branches cannot bear fruit of themselves unless they abide in the vine. And this is what Jesus said, John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. As your pastor, I want nothing more than for you to live lives of joy. Finding your satisfaction in him and him alone. To live in a way that is different from all the other living that's around you. And I'm imploring you, the only way that you will find that is by abiding in the vine. May his joy be in you and your joy be full. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, it is evident from your word and from the gospel and from all that we see in the gospel, Lord, that you love us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And God, those words seem so tried and so empty. Lord, there are so many times when we get our eyes off of what will really bring joy, and that is you. Lord, we chase after these things, and they can only deliver happiness for a moment. But Lord, you and you alone will satisfy our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we take this posture of the believer, turning from sin and trusting you, mortifying the flesh and abiding in the vine, Lord, that you might produce joy. Lord, that you might produce it in abundance. God, that you might do so for your own glory and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said and to respond. Perhaps you're here today and maybe there's something that you have been chasing after. And you've realized today it is, it is leading you away from God. You've, you've sought to replace God and the joy that can be found in Him by chasing after whatever this is. And maybe today you need to lay it down, to walk away from it, to confess to God exactly how you've been looking at it and treating it, to say to God about whatever that is that He says about it, that it is sin, and ask Him to, to grant you repentance to be able to walk away and then ask Him to grant faith to your heart to be able to trust Him. That He might grant to you the ability to chase Him, to pursue Him, to live in light of finding joy in Him and Him alone. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to come and kneel across these steps and pray. 
Maybe there's someone here in the room that you just need to pull aside and pray together. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never, you've never ever turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord. And today, you're not saved, but you now know that you want to be. I would love to have the conversation with you and lead you to know how you can be saved today from your sin, delivered from the condemnation that is against you in your sin. In Jesus alone, I'd love to have that conversation. I'll be seated on the front row. I'd love for you to come and speak with me. And let's begin this conversation of how you come to trust the Lord. Whatever it is that he's leading you to, I'm just going to ask you just to respond. When, when Ethan leads us to sing, you're free to move about and do whatever you need to do. But if, if the Lord is prompting you, don't harden your heart. Say yes to him as he leads. Let's worship him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.